Welcome to DLC Live, your source for educational and inspirational interviews with mental health experts and advocates from around the world. Now, here's your host, creator of the DLC Anxiety Worldwide Mental Health Community, Dean Stott. Thanks for everyone for being patient. Um, we've actually got a psychotherapist um, who is uh, chatting with us today. Um, he's talking all things panic attacks um, and panic anxiety related. Um, like I said, there's been a few technical issues, but we're going to try again one last time for you guys today. So wish us luck. Fingers crossed, guys. Okay. Let, let's see how this goes. No, my yeah. My number one anxiety rules don't rely on technology. <laughs> it looks a lot brighter in there, so that's a good start. I like I do all my work in that room upstairs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um so uh, thanks thanks for being on again, uh, Josh. Um just a little uh, brief recap for everyone who's joining who may not have been on before. If you can just give a little introduction about yourself, uh, what you do, um why you such why you have such a passion in mental health advocacy as well as obviously your professional work as well okay no problem and uh apologies before hopefully oh, fingers, no. fingers crossed this day this um yeah i'm joshua fletcher i'm a psychotherapist and an author specializing working with people with anxiety disorders um disorder is just a fancy word for saying it keeps happening uh, what we were talking about before was that, um, yeah, I work with people who namely struggle with panic attacks. Um, the kind of people who have a panic attack and then worry about having another one and they change their life and they avoid. They try to work out how they feel. They try to ask why all the time. Uh, well, basically, they put their life on hold. Um, mm -hmm. Oh, you're still hearing me. Great. Already. Yes, we're, we're on a roll. Quality content, and, uh, and yeah, and that's where I'm based in Manchester, in England, and and that's what I I do. I work. People kind of contact me at the panic room, and that's what I've been doing for the last five years. Uh, I've also a previous sufferer myself, so a lot of people get in contact with me because they uh, they like to speak to a therapist who's also been through panic and anxiety, and I find that that's really helpful actually a lot of the time when working. Yeah. They're like, oh, you don't get it, and so like, well, actually, I do. You know, I do yeah, definitely. Uh, I think I think a lot of people uh, get that um, get that impression when they sometimes go and see the doctor, for example, and it's it's almost like uh, I get a lot of feedback. People saying it's almost like a tick box exercise, and um, they, they don't feel like um, the the doctor. And obviously, not every doctor's like this, but they don't feel like. They have um, that connection that they, they've actually been through it. So I think that's where your expertise um, really um, comes in handy. And like I said before, I actually had obviously a friend 10 years older than me. He went through a panic disorder. Uh, and when I was going through a panic disorder myself, it was his expertise that I could really relate to. Like I said, he um, almost felt like he was he was wearing my shoes, it, like he'd like everything that I was describing, he was describing back to me. And, and he gave me hope that there, uh, th there was a light at the end of the tunnel, because like, like you know, um, when you're in the middle of a panic disorder, you, you think that's you for the rest of your life. Mm. Yeah, no, I, um, and I mean, wouldn't it be nice if there was a version of your friend 
everywhere. And that's kind of what I aim to do. It's my long-term goal is to use psychoeducation to educate a lot of people. So even perhaps, even if you've not been through it, it would mm-hmm. be know enough about it to help a friend who potentially is. Um, I like, um, I think it's a wonderful story of your friend kind of stepping in and going, listen, I've been there, mate. Here's what's going on. Uh, can you still hear me, Dean? Is my yeah, right? all good. All good. All good this time. Apparently, back of my head, this, that, that's my anxiety right there. <laughs> and, um, and, and I just think, yeah, it's, it's not, I think the whole part before mentioning your friend, and you said to me once, kind of what he managed to provide to you was this reassurance and relief that gave you enough confidence to help you with your panic, to help you with what was happening. And that's what I endeavor to do in my work, whether it's in my books or in my practice or wherever I am. Uh, I try and normalize it and just make people feel normal and okay. Uh, we're making some good steps in the UK with that, but you know, it depends where you are in the world. I know a lot of your um, followers, are all, well, they're all over the world. Yeah. Here in particular, that's what I'm trying to do in the UK first, and then that's, you know, trying to spread that message elsewhere. Well, that's brilliant. And for those that don't know, um, you do have um, two really good books um, that you, you kindly sent to me. Um, nearly finished the first one. Um, I can see why it was uh, such a great success, because it almost giving the reader that feeling that I mentioned about someone who's actually been through it. Um, so I felt that um, the words that you were, you were given in the book um was was almost uh, yeah it was it was given that light at the end of the tunnel for someone who might be going through a panic disorder um so i do wish that i would have maybe have seen your book um 10 years ago when i was dealing with it because i do think that would have been extra um extra information extra reassurance to help me overcome it so i can definitely see um why it's done so well so you must be super proud uh, of both books Oh, thank you very much. Uh, I, I initially, this is a true story. When I wrote the first book, Panicking About Panic, I wanted that just to help one person. I said to my partner at the time, I said, if someone picks up this book and it helps them, done. And I mostly wrote it kind of, being honest, kind of me, in the sense that kind of, well, if I was writing a book to my anxious self, this is what I'd write. And that's why it's done so well because people are anxious they pick it up and they go oh wow that's me mm. you know and they go from feeling alone isolated and crazy to whoa millions of people have this you know yeah and, and I, sorry no, i was just gonna i was just gonna say i think that's a reason that this platform's done so well as well because there's so many people like you say who who feel that they're alone with this but then when they see half a million um, other people who were um, going through anxiety, panic disorders at different different stages of recovery. Um, I think um, it gives them hope as well. So, mm. yeah, I think this. Um, yeah, it's. I mean, I love the content that you, that, that you share because you know, even though I'm a therapist and I do um, work and specialize in working with anxiety, I am human too. I do get yeah. anxious, but I imagine you do. You know, I'm not going to proclaim that I am the master of all emotion. <laughs> uh, and what's really nice about your content is that I look at it some days, and some of them that pops down, I go, oh, yeah, thanks. It's <laughs> 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 remember that. Um, and a lot of you, when you are anxious, it's about being kind to yourself. So if you do an panic attacks and you've 
overcome them, and then you um, get your life back on track. Sometimes, and statistically, you're susceptible to maybe getting anxiety again in the future. And that's Definitely. It's the attitude that you have towards it that will help you overcome it again. And that's what's Definitely. Real. Yeah. I was just going to say, and um, I often say this uh, to, uh, to my followers as well, because um, who was who may be um, maybe getting relief from the anxiety that they're dealing with at the moment, and they're often saying, "Well, I'm really scared that it's going to come back." But um, I think giving the people the reassurance that if it does come back, it's not coming back with the same uh, in the same situation as they were in before. They now have more self-help tools. They might have therapy. They might have looked at CBT, for example. Um, so. It's not the same situation, um, and I think if I think uh, dealing with anxiety is all about getting as many tools out to the person as you can. Um, so, and because obviously, as you well know, not every single tool works for for every single person. It's a, it's a tailored plan for each individual. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that's what I do across my uh, the community is just trying to get as much information out there knowing that some will pick up um, on certain things, for example. Uh, massive. I mean, I, when I look at uh, your Instagram page, that is psychoeducation. And psychoeducation is the best thing to use for people with anxiety. When people start using terms like tools and things like that, which is cool and I understand, but at the same time, for some people, if you're someone who thinks, I need a tool, that may imply that actually, well, you need to be fixed because tools fix things. So I would say more like, rather than looking for tools, looking for a perspective. Anxi most anxiety and anxiety disorders are kept there because of our perspective on it. Your friend came along and said, hey, here's a new perspective. And then you were like, oh yeah, now I don't need to worry about it. You didn't, no, it. You didn't actually do, oh, I'm sure you did do certain things. But when you have a new perspective, you stop avoiding. You know, you're like, oh, this is actually okay. You know, if anyone's watching, um, it's okay if you're anxious. You know, I'm sure it's what Dean said over and over again, but it's okay if you're anxious. Um, and, but previously when people get really anxious initially, it's like, no, it's not okay to be anxious. Mm -hmm. I need to fix that. Give me Exactly. Yeah. And it's, it's, almost, it's almost people believe, start to believe that it's a, almost a fight against the anxiety, okay. um, which, which is falling into the trap of, obviously, if, if, like you said, if the brain thinks that we need to fix it or we need to fight against it, then obviously um, the, the body is going to protect us against that, which is going to create more anxiety and potentially make the situation worse. So I think, like you said, uh, it's... It's all about the the perspectives. Um, so, two people could have the same thought, um, but completely different um, reactions to that thought, which would mean uh, one person may become anxious from it. One person may be completely okay. Because yes. um, I I often get a lot of people saying, so how uh, how do I get rid of these irrational thoughts? So it's not about getting rid of them. It's about like you said, changing um, the reaction to them. Yeah. Yes, 100%. You can't stop thoughts. You know, it's, 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 it's an experiment I do with all my clients. You know, don't think of a pink elephant. Do not think of a pink elephant. Do not think of a pink And you can't stop that thought. But you're okay with that thought because it doesn't trigger an anxious response. It doesn't trigger an emotion. Mm -hmm. 
can change is how you react to thoughts like you've just said. And, you know, if you are having a thought at home and then suddenly it triggers an anxious reaction, that's where you still have control. People, a lot of anxious people go, I'm afraid of losing control. I'm afraid I won't cope. I won't do all that. You will cope. And you've always got a sense of control. It doesn't feel like it. Because sometimes you sat there, your heart's racing. You feel like your reality is about to explode. You don't feel here. You feel like you're going to be judged. You're afraid of panic or whatever. But you're still in control of your decisions. You can still choose to stay. You can still choose to ignore. You could choose to walk out if you wanted to, although I don't uh, advocate that. Mm-hmm. You can. No, that's a really good point. Um, and just for people who don't know what a psychotherapist is, how how would you explain that's different to maybe a psychologist or a psychiatrist? Where, whereabouts does it fit in? Um, oh, psychologists learn a lot about the brain, psychology in terms of um, the, the scientific background behind it. They also learn about the different modalities of therapy and they learn they, they learn a little bit about them all mm-hmm. use them with 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 clients um psych, psychiatrists uh use medication and they prescribe and they're they're educated in, in, in medication and a psychotherapist is basically a counselor who is trained to a level of to use more modality so you mentioned kind of cbt so I can use CBT and I can use person-centered counseling uh, and I can use others as well that I've learned along the way. Um, and that's kind of what um, the difference is. A psychotherapist is just a, a counselor that's trained for a long time. Um, they're the people that sit and listen. They don't diagnose. So if you go to see a psychotherapist and they diagnose you, that's, they should yeah. yeah. No, no that's, really, that's really good advice. Um, I've also got some questions from the platform, if that's okay with you, Josh. Yeah. Um, and I must let everyone know as well, Josh didn't want to um, see the questions beforehand, so these are straight from Josh's heart. Um, and that's I, I, I credit to yourself as well, Josh. So, um. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so uh, the first question, um, which is, is a good question, um, can, can you have, is the different types of panic attacks? Yes. Um, you, everyone, I presume, has heard the term fight or flight, okay? Uh, but actually, it's called fight, flight, or freeze. When I have a panic attack, I freeze. Mm-hmm. My heart rate does not increase. That is a freeze panic attack. If, if anyone's ever frozen, you sit there going, and your mind's racing, and you feel like the world is going to end, you're going to die. But... I don't start sweating. I don't have the fast heart rate. That's a freeze panic. Mm-hmm. We'll have the, the fight or flight panic, which is the pair of the people that have to do something. They get up, they run, they've got to escape. They've got to get out of the room. So if I, with someone else, have a panic, I can have a panic attack in a crowded room and I can't move, I'm frozen. Whereas someone else could have a panic attack in a room and they've bolted for the door, they've ran, I know, and they want to do something about it. There's different types of panic attack, attacks you can have. Um, also, lose the word attack. Nothing's attacking you. You're all right. 
No, that's good. That's, that's really good advice. Uh, just with the uh, the freeze aspect, so myself, when I was going through a panic disorder, um, I think it was probably the flight aspect I had. So when I felt the rush of emotions, the one thing I wanted to do was, like you say, run for the nearest exit, um, which, again, has um, has um, implications itself because it's, it's teaching the brain that um, the situation that you're in um, is is one that's to be fearful of. So that, that can fuel the panic disorder, which um, I obviously realised over the time. But with the freeze aspect, um, do you just do you not get the um, that urge to want to leave? You literally just stay in one spot, is it? Yeah, some, it's a mixture sometimes. Um, you can't... Um... You can still move. You don't freeze kind of physically, but your instinct is to just stay still. You know, and if you think about it as like, if you look at other mammals in the animal kingdom, mm -hmm. some of them just free. If you take any David Attenborough documentary, you're watching a gazelle uh, galloping across the Serengeti, and then a, you know, a lion comes out to chase it. Its fight or flight kicks in. And it runs. Now, unfortunately, if the gazelle gets kind of caught by the lion, watch what happens. Mm -hmm. It still wants to run away and probably could, but there's a part of its brain that goes, nah, I might as well just freeze up because I ain't getting away from this. Now, we have that, but we're not being chased by lions. You mm -hmm. know, having a freeze panic is okay. Um, you can still move, and it's okay to just kind of Sorry, so a lot of people's social anxiety get freeze anxiety. So they'll sit there and someone will go, hi, and they'll go, and they'll freeze. Oh, so it's almost like a mind blank, is it? Yeah, because it's, it's literally the fight or flight and freeze response kicking in. And it's okay. You can still act on it, though. Just be very compassionate with yourself and be like, well, you know, to me, I just tell anyone, but it, everyone's different. I just, if I'm anxious, I'll just say to someone, I'm anxious, sorry. <laughs> yeah different but yeah um and i think labeling it labeling it is really good as well because um it, it's not in your head then like you say you might you, you pass that on to someone so like using a thought diary passing the thoughts onto a piece of paper um when i was uh, dealing with anxiety and panic attacks if i was with a friend i, I would always say oh i'm feeling anxious now and i'd know that that would start to lower the anxiety so i yeah. think that's a really good tip josh yeah oh thank you <laughs> <laughs> Um, I've got another question. Um, how many panic attacks do you need to have for it to be classed as a disorder? Oh, excellent. <laughs> I'll answer this question. Uh, there is no, there's no, officially, the guidance is several back-to-back -back panic attacks over the space of two weeks. So if you have more than one panic attack a day for two weeks, that's the official advice. However, for mm -hmm. something, because I've been working with panic disorder for years. Panic disorder is defined by how you feel in between panic attacks. It's what you do in between panic attacks. So if I have a panic attack on Monday, but then I continue going to work, I continue seeing my friends and family, and then coincidentally I have a panic attack on Friday, I don't have panic disorder. If I have a panic attack on Monday, and then avoid going to work and spend all day pacing my room, trying to work out the way I feel, doing all that, then that's panic disorder. It's the behavior and what you do in between panic attacks. 
If you've withdrawn, then you've got panic disorder. So That's you'd say you'd say the maybe the avoidance from the situations then. So if you're having to, for example, if you get, um, I remember when I had panic attacks in a shopping centre. So if then my behaviour would change that. I do my shopping online, for example. Is that sort of behaviour of changing, not not being able to go into the situation? Would you say? Yeah, definitely. I'm just turn the big light on one sec. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's better. Um, yeah, um, yeah. It's, it's the behaviour. It's, it's basically it's a phobia. Panic. Mm -hmm. I have a phobia of panic. I have a phobia of my anxiety. And so, therefore, I avoid it. People who have a phobia of spiders will avoid spiders. People who have a phobia of heights will avoid heights. People who have a, a phobia of panic will do their utmost best to avoid panic. And that's when you've got panic disorder. No, that's a real, really thorough. Um, and it, it, it's a, I knew this would happen, by the way. I knew how much we would be able to relate to each other just because of our own personal journeys as well. Um, so everything that you're saying is really hitting home, and, and I think obviously it's hitting home with a lot of the followers as well. Um, another question, um, which is is a really interesting question, uh, which is what helps when panic attacks appear uh, in the same circumstance or or the same time of the day? Um, do you have any advice regarding that? The same time of day. What so? Um... So, for example, um, they may come five o'clock when they finish work. For example, they might start to feel anxious, um, maybe about the drive home. Oh, um, okay. If it's specific anxiety, that's great because that's easier to work with. So okay. If I finish work and I've got to drive home, that's where I practice. So rather, I call, in my practice, I call it reframing. Mm -hmm. Well, I say I call it, it's a CBT technique. So you can either say, oh no, this is happening, I'm going to be anxious. Or you can say, oh great, I've finished work, now's the time to practice being anxious. Because when you practice being anxious, you allow yourself to be anxious. Mm -hmm. And what happens is you start to rewire the brain. So if you get into your car, using your example, wanting to drive home and practicing being anxious the brain's going what are you doing we, we don't want this but you're going no i'm practicing being anxious and you're literally rewiring the amygdala in the brain you go no i want to be anxious you know let, let's let's do that if that's mm -hmm. a thing what i will say though is that if you anyone who's watching if you have if there's something in particular that you're anxious about if maybe if there's someone around you that isn't perhaps very nice or pleasant or you're in some kind of if there's a genuine reason to be anxious, you have a look at that and see what you can do externally. But if it's just fearing panic, then by all means, kind of bring it on. You know, it's not going to hurt you. It feels grim, but it's not going to hurt you. Exactly, and what you say, and it's that acceptance um, that where the brain starts to rewire because uh, you're not avoiding it. Like you say, you're almost saying, "Bring everything for me," and then what you realise is that. Um, when when you start to accept and want these feelings to come, that they don't come as strong as what they did beforehand. No, and it has anxiety never has nothing anything new. I mean, I don't know about you, Dean. Have you ever have you ever had a panic attack in the last couple of years that's been anything new? No, definitely not. And I think um, 
I'd, I'd say the one thing that, that probably stuck with me, and I don't know um, if you can relate to this from when you used to deal with panic attacks, was that even though, you know, at the time that it's a panic attack, that it's a, your body's natural response, and you know that it's not going to hurt you, even though that you know all this information, you know that you've had them um, previously, when you're in the middle of that panic attack, your brain still manages to... Um, to make make you aware, uh, to make you scared of the situation that maybe this time that it's something different. Exactly. Well, that's it. I mean, I, I can relate, and still now, like it, it's very convincing. That's supposed to happen. Because how mm. rough fight or flight response be if it can't convince you to leave? Yeah. It, it it has to put doubt in your mind. So if you get one thought in your mind, and anyone who's had a panic attack will relate to this, including you, Dean. At the time, when your fight or flight response is going bananas, and it's pumping adrenaline and cortisol, and your nervous system's on fire, and everything feels weird, that one thought that felt so real, 20 minutes later, you can think, really? Was I panicking about And that's yeah. the difference. But that's what it's supposed to do. There is nothing wrong with you if you do feel like that. You can't fix it. You can't ever, you know, be 100% immune to panic because that's its very function. It's that part of your brain older than your thinking brain. It's going to... Exactly. Yeah. And if we, if we didn't have anxiety, then we'd be, we would be more of a risk as a human race because there is situations where that fight or flight system can kick in and actually save people's lives. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, just unfortunately, because, because it's the oldest part of our brain, uh, it doesn't understand subjective stresses. So it could understand dangers and stresses of thousands of years ago, you know, being chased by predators, protect yourself from the elements, you know, worrying about heights because you could fall and things like that. It doesn't understand deadlines. It doesn't understand employment. It doesn't understand no. um, career anxiety and stuff like that. So what happens is when all those worries build up, so, and this is where I, I truly kind of communicate in my practice, panic doesn't come from nowhere. All these subjective stresses build up and then that anxious part of our brain doesn't get it, doesn't understand and then just, just in case to look after you, it just goes, bam, and have, have a load of adrenaline. And that is everyone's first panic attack. I don't know where your first panic attack was, Dean, but that was it. That, that's what happens. It just goes, bam, because that's everything building up. Your jug overflows, and bam. And it certainly happened to me anyway. Oh, I can remember my first panic attack. Um, obviously, all, all the symptoms were, were, were new to me. And um, I don't know if you had this specific symptom, but it was almost like a, a feeling of terror, like a feeling of doom. Um, the, yeah, the, it convinces you that you're in a state of, of terror and that something is seriously going wrong at the time. So, yeah, the first one was really scary. And I think that um, how I reacted to that first um, panic attack was what possibly brought on the panic disorder of, like you say, having that fear of having them feelings again. Yeah. Uh, and to be honest, you just described me uh, when I was struggling. Yeah, it's the, it's the doom feeling that's so... It's an alien feeling. Yeah. 
that's it. And it's used statistically, you're, you're going to develop an anxiety disorder between the ages of 16 to 30. Uh, you can still develop it after 30 years old, but statistically, that's where you most have it. I don't know how old you were when you started. I was like 23. Yeah, similar, similar. Yeah, uh, and just from nowhere, carrying on with life, and then suddenly this, this weird feeling of doom. I've never really felt it before. Uh, and because, you know, we're all intelligent people, we're trying to work out, we're trying to solve problems. When you get a feeling of doom from somewhere, you go, what's that about? Mm -hmm. Up in that cycle, the panic attack cycle, doom, panic, doom, panic. It wasn't very fun. I, no. <laughs> you can't eat, you can struggle to sleep. You know, I smile about it now, but that was a grim place to be in. And, you know, if anyone's watching, like, that's that's okay. You can get out of that. That's all right. Yeah, and that, that's obviously why we wanted to do this as well. Two people who've been through panic disorders, um, yourself who deals with clients every single day. And I, I guess you've got many success stories from past clients as well. It's just showing people that no matter what situation they're in, how trapped that they feel that there is that light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah. And the light isn't that far away either. No. Around the corner. You just can't see it yet. But when you take one step to the right, oh, there it is. You know, and um, um, definitely. And, and I'm glad that it's really nice to know that there's pages like that you run and, and what you do with anxiety, um, that you're working off a similar kind of ilk. Therapy in the UK is catching up. You're getting third wave CBT. It's called metacognitive therapy. And that's going across the USA and the UK at the moment. Uh, so if you do struggle with anxiety disorders uh, and you want advice on maybe a therapist that would help you with your specific anxiety, look up metacognitive CBT. That's the one that kind of gets, gets anxiety. Because uh, I don't know about you, but I've been several CBT therapists. Some of them have been okay. Some of them haven't. Mm -hmm. aims to teach all therapists kind of how it works from the, from the beginning so there's some advice if anyone's comes. what would your um i'm just thinking of a question that i often get asked um so we uh we've got a lot of followers uh in america where obviously the um the healthcare system is is different than here in the uk so i often get people who say well um i can't afford the healthcare um, so what would you so what would your advice and your your take on self-help CBT be? Would you say that that's a good, good avenue for someone to go down if they don't have the access to a therapist? Definitely. Um, self-help CBT can work um, if you get the right resources. Don't just pick up one book and go, I don't get it. That's rubbish. Uh, I did that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and it didn't help. Um, I always draw up a list of recommended reading. And I can all send you that if you wanted to after. Oh, yeah, that'd be brilliant. Oh, they don't include my books. They're separate. <laughs> they're actually kind of reading that I've done, written by CBT professionals, uh, masters of their field, and they've written some beautiful self-help books. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm the biggest fan. I turn into a little boy every time I chat. Um, <laughs> but yeah, um, Give, if you get the right guidance, CBT uh, self-help can be really good. That's brilliant. Um, another question from the platform is, um, 
How do you combat irrational thoughts um, when they're over, overwhelming your reality? So if you sat there in work and you get any irrational thoughts, do you have any tips on uh, someone where these thoughts are just really overcoming everything that they're doing during the day? Sure, yeah. Um, you treat irrational thoughts like intrusive thoughts. And I love working with intrusive thoughts. I've seen some of the most beautiful moments in the therapy room with people with intrusive thoughts. So irrational thoughts are a bit like kind of catastrophizing. Mm -hmm. I go, what if that happens? You know, if it's health anxiety, what if I have a heart attack? What if I've got cancer? What if I'm going to drop dead? What if I'm going to faint? If you've got social anxiety, it's what if that person judges me? What if I misjudge that? My boss is annoyed with me. What if my partner leaves? Whatever. Um, then and if you've got obviously panic disorder, what if I panic, blah, 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 blah. Um, whatever the irrational thought, treat it like an intrusive thought. It's a thought you don't want. So I, there'll be many people watching now, and I know, because if you've got anxiety, you'll be very familiar with intrusive thoughts. And these are weird, taboo, shocking thoughts that we all get. But when we're anxious, we start to read into a little bit. So if I get a really weird thought about wanting to harm a family member or eat something I shouldn't or do something horrible and grotesque, I don't want to do that, but I get those thoughts. Now, how I treat with that is uh, just a thought. So you can do, you know, and there's something in therapy, and this is very important, it's called thought action fusion. Just because you have a reaction to a thought doesn't make it any more real. So if I have a, what if I have a heart attack, and then suddenly I feel anxious about it, it doesn't make it any more real. No. If I get, if someone's judging me, and then I become anxious, it doesn't make it any more real. What if I go insane, and then I start to feel detached? It doesn't make it any more real. Thought, action, fusion. If you're having irrational thoughts at work, then just say, nah, just because I'm anxious about this thought, doesn't make it any more real. That's, that's, that's really, really interesting. And if you've got any uh, material on for Action Fusion, um, I think that'd be really good to share with uh, the platform as well. Um, yeah, I often say um, to, to the followers, almost treat um, irrational thoughts um, or intrusive thoughts, almost be like, like the bouncer on the, on the front of a club. So you see the thought, you're going to let it in. Um, you get. You can choose to reject the thought, replace the thought, or accept it in. So um, what worked for me, I don't know if you did at the time, uh, thought diaries really, really worked. Um, I, I did feel um, like uh, they reduced anxiety a lot and really helped with the irrational thoughts that I was getting throughout the day. So I, I used to use it in two aspects. One, um, I'd write down the irrational thought put next to it a more um, rational thought. And at the time, I wouldn't believe it, but I, th I do believe it was um, conditioning the mind to, to, even though it doesn't believe the rational thought, just to know that there's more than one, one way of thinking. And I'd, I'd also use it uh, in a sense of I'd write down an irrational thought then maybe 5, 6 p.m. the same evening every night. I'd come back to these thoughts and you would realize that they're not as intense as what they were when you were thinking. I think you touched on that before as well. Um, so those two things really helped with me. And 
obviously doing psychology at university and, and delving into um, different techniques that way. Um, yeah, I, think, I thought that was a really good uh, technique to use. Really good. Uh, and particularly if you're someone... I actually admire how you kind of just uh, you're very open and honest and transparent about your your journey as well, and which is which is lovely. I I would do that in a in a CBT way where it's positive. So you're writing down the thought and then you're providing a an alternative. I I but I remember for me when I started to write stuff down, I was doing it as a kind of way to fix myself. So I'd have piles and piles of books with all my irrational thoughts on and having conversations with it. And honestly, uh, if someone picked up that book, they go, <laughs> but at the, at the time, I thought it was helpful. The way you, you do it in, in the terms of an anxiety journal and to provide alternatives, uh, yeah, I think that's really, really helpful. Um, I should probably do it more, actually, with my clients. You've, uh, you've kind of a, you've, put, you've put a seed in my head there. I'm gonna, that will grow over the next few weeks. That's brilliant. And I think there is one other question, um, which is a, another good question. So the really good questions from the guys. Um, if I don't want to use medication, what natural ways, as well as therapy, um, would you advise? So is there any natural? Yeah, I don't want to give the answer. I want you to give the answer. That's fine. That's a good question. <laughs> yeah. uh, some really lovely comments from your followers as well. It's really nice. Um, it's helping me to feel better as well when, when, when you get those nice comments as well because you know it's a bit daunting staring into a phone with a dodgy internet connection <laughs> um, yeah what ways if I don't want to use prescription medication uh, for anxiety okay and what, what just my uh, sorry an additional question to throw in there what's your views on uh, medication as well for anxiety um my views on medication for anxiety is that wholeheartedly, I think medication for anxiety is too hastily prescribed. Um, I think there's not a chance for psychoeducation. There's not a chance for an intervention like your friend to say it's okay. However, as a psychotherapist who has worked with hundreds of people, I have seen a positive effect of medication too, particularly if there's depression. So if you struggle with depression and I found that things like SSRIs tricyclic medication can work however just because it works for someone you know or someone else doesn't mean it will have the same effect on you so if you're someone who takes medication at home you're thinking I'm, this ain't good uh, I'm getting horrible side effects you go straight back to your doctor and say this ain't good I'm having horrible side effects people react differently to different medications um, I think lots of people who are uh, too hastily medicated, I think there's a lot of people who just have panic, who shouldn't be medicated, but mm -hmm. get anxiety, comorbid with depression, and therefore you're going to get people who need the medication. So I don't rule it out. It's not a black and white issue. But at the same time, if you feel, actually, I don't, I don't want medication, you tell your doctor, and I told my doctor that too. I said, I don't feel depressed. I just feel really anxious and I'm, I want to find out what's going on with me. Once I found out what was going on with me, that gave me enough motivation to change how I was behaving. However, if I was depressed, that might have been a different story because you need motivation. Mm -hmm. so depression, you don't have motivation. Um, no, definitely. 
that's my answer on that. It's not, it's not a cut and dry one. I hope I got, got out of that one, Scotch free. <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah, what I just wanted to add to that, um, just uh, from the experience of speaking to people on the platform, um, I believe that medication um, sometimes has a positive effect if someone isn't able to engage with the therapy um, at the time. So it can almost lower the anxiety to a level where they can then tackle CBT and can then really engage with, uh, with a therapist. I've seen positive effects that way. Good, good, yeah, good. Um, my, I've seen that too, and you're absolutely right. Uh, particularly from my perspective, it's from when people are depressed as well. You know, mm -hmm. go good, go up chase your anxiety ignore it strive through it but if you're depressed you ain't you're not gonna feel motivated to do that um yeah there's no one drug or tablet that helps it all avoid that try and avoid the the and this is my personal advice try and avoid the traps of benzos i had a very kind of difficult period as me being very honest there's a difficult period there you know, overusing uh, Xanax and diazepam because in the immediacy, you know, oh, wow, you know, but actually it didn't help my anxiety at all in the long run. Mm -hmm. When I got rid of kind of all that, um, I had medication obviously for me to, to help me uh, at some point. When I got rid of all that, that's when I could truly learn to not fear anxiety. Like, I'm not patient if it's coming on, you know, whatever. Um, but yeah, that's a chat to have with your doctors as well. Give or, or therapist and tell them how you're feeling. You know, I straight up said I don't, I don't feel fancy medication. What can I do? That's that's really good. And obviously, I do um, on the on the platform try and promote exercise as well, just because of the scientific evidence of of, of um, how well exercise can can reduce anxiety as well almost as good as some anti-anxiety medication uh, from from certain studies. Uh. Mm, yeah. Uh, on exercise, yeah. Um, in my second book, I'm plugging my book. In my second book, <laughs> I got something called um, the FI plant. And it's my favorite analogy in, in anxiety. And I've not told you this one either, Dean. So you know. Um, the FI plant. Your anxiety is a plant, but it's a weed. You want to get rid of it. Now, to get rid of a weed, you pull out the root. Now, a lot of people, when they try to get rid of anxiety, they trim and prune the leaves by using if I's. So, if I meditate every day, if I exercise, if I cut out gluten, if I do this, if I work out my problems, if I blah, 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 if I take this, if I drink, if I do that, all these if I's, are not dealing with the problem. Is exercise conducive to good mental health? 100%, you know, 100%. But at the same time, I provide the analogy to people, what if accidentally you broke your leg and you couldn't exercise for three months? You've lost, you've lost your solution or cure to your anxiety. No, you should be able to sit in a room and be okay with being anxious. I love exercise for depression, it's great flood your head with endorphins, chemicals, stuff like that. But it is not the cure, you know. I'm often very lazy. <laughs> so lazy. You know, I, I look on Instagram and I'm seeing people do all these, like, 
yoga poses where they're eating grapes with their feet and their. <laughs> uh, I can't even touch. I can't even touch my toes. <laughs> <laughs> I sit there and I watch trash on TV because that's me re relaxing. I don't need to do what proper relaxing. I can just chill out. Um, but at the same time, yeah, if you're depressed, sometimes putting those running shoes on in the morning, giving your brain some help, giving it a bit of a boost with those endorphins can help a lot. Um, do you, um, in your therapy um, classes, uh, do you um, touch on mindfulness at all? Yeah, um, definitely. If you've got acute panic disorder, mindfulness is not good because you're afraid of your sensations. <laughs> so uh, if you've got a feeling of doom and you feel like something bad's going to happen and then you sit with those feelings of doom without knowing what they are, you're going to panic. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Use panic at mindfulness to begin with. Once you know and convince that anxiety and panic can't hurt you, that's when it's great. Um, I think it's seen as a panacea, a bit of a fix-all. With panic disorder, actually, no. And the research suggests with panic disorder, no. It's, it actually has the opposite effect initially. With things like generalized anxiety disorder and health anxiety, it's bang on. It's, it's perfect. But for panic attacks, which is kind of what we were talking about, no, it's, it's, it's not. Why would you sit there and focus on how you feel in the present? If anything, that's going to add terror. When you feel confident enough to do it, by all means. You know, and I've sat with clients in my practice at the panic room. I've sat there and gone, are you feeling panicky? Right, let's sit through it. But that takes skill. You've got to build up confidence to do that. Um, so mindfulness is a double-edged sword. Some people actually become more depressed because they feel that they can't do it. So when they're panicking, you try and do mindfulness, they're like, I can't do it. I'm panicking. I can't even sit still. And they feel worse. Mm. If you feel ready to do mindfulness, do mindfulness. But it isn't the panacea and the cure-all. And I've always stood by that. No, that's really good, um, really good advice. Uh, so when people, when you get uh, clients coming to you, um, obviously um, you hear about uh, in doctor surgeries or um, therapy surgeries, sometimes they try and um, induce the panic. Um, to, to why well, you said to try and help them through that. So, um, how often would you say that you get people who are coming and actually having panic attacks uh, there in in the therapy sessions, or is it a case of sometimes they come into therapy and maybe not feeling as anxious and panicky as, as what they would be saying in a situation that triggers them more? It's a good question. Uh, um, yes, well, my. My anxiety practice is called the panic room. So you're going to get a few lot of people who are panicking in there. Um, but actually, a lot of their anxiety, it's interesting you said that, a lot of their anxiety is actually the build-up to it. And they come into the therapy room and five, ten minutes later, they're okay. Sometimes when we're talking about stuff in my practice, it evokes feelings of panic, which is my favorite part. Because when they sit there and they're panicking and they're grabbing the chair and they're going, oh, Josh, what do I do? And I sit there very calmly and I go, nothing. They're like, is there not a breathing technique I should do? Do I need to do that? What should I do? I was like, nothing. If this can't hurt you, why do we need to do anything? Yeah, but what can I do to make it better? It's like, you can't. You're going to feel like this for five, ten minutes. Now you can either fight it and do techniques, which I don't agree with, um, or just let it be there. What would you be usually be doing now? 
And they're like, oh, I don't know. Okay, well, let's just have a chat then. Where's the best holiday you've been on? They're like, what? I'm panicking. Why are you asking me about holidays? No, tell me the best holiday you've been on. Oh, I don't know, Mallorca. Now sort my panic out. I'm like, no, do what you usually do. It will pass regardless. In fact, anything, and uh, studies have shown that the more you kind of start doing breathing techniques and stuff like that, you're actually telling the brain it's not okay to panic, and therefore the panic lasts longer. You know, um, which is, again, uh, what inspires third-wave CBT. You know, um, um, how, what, do, what would you say the average duration of a panic attack is? In, if you look on Google, it says between 10 to 30 minutes. Uh, I'd agree with that, but sometimes I've had panic that's lasted for an hour or two. You know? Yeah. The difference between panic and high anxiety, you know? So you might start here, see if I can get this on camera. You might start here at the bottom, and then it creeps up, peaks, thumbs down, might loiter a bit, and then it'll go down. It doesn't just go up and down. No, definitely. Down, and then it loiters. Then sometimes when it's loitering, we if we don't understand, it might peak again. And that's, again, panic. So, but um, let it go up and let it come down slowly. It doesn't. You don't just go peak calm. Let it come down slowly. So, yeah, 10 minutes to two hours, I would say most people about 20 minutes. Yeah, no, I completely agree with that. And like you say, um, some people might almost fall into the trap of, oh, oh, it's been 10 minutes now, I should be feeling relaxed. And then that can, again, build up anxiety, almost like within a panic disorder, like you said. Excellent point. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Because if you're if you're constantly checking in, I wonder how many people listening here check. Um, the compulsive checking is the biggest mistake to make with panic. When you check, am I anxious? Am I okay? Have I got COVID? Have I got a heart attack? Have I got that? If I got this, have I got that? Have I got that? That adds to anxiety. So imagine if you're finishing a panic attack and then you're going, is it gone? Is it gone? Is it gone? Is it gone? That is only going to add to more anxiety. I mean, you might be thinking this at home. You might think this a bit. And I fell into this trap once when someone told me this. But someone said to me, a very intelligent, clever client said, what if I get caught in the trap of every time I have a panic attack, I can't stop checking. So I'm constantly panicking. I'm like, no, because you could do that. Mm -hmm. You'll run out of adrenaline anyway, so you'll calm in the long run. So if anyone's thinking that, you're okay. You can either go the long way around and just sit there and panic until you run out of adrenaline or just hit the peak, let it come down and be like, nah, whatever, and let it come down. That's brilliant. Um, I really, really enjoyed um, your answers to these uh, questions, Josh. I really appreciate the time um, that you've taken out. And obviously, I'm really happy that the uh, the signal has worked this time, which is fantastic. Um, just like a, as a, almost an outro thing, where can, where can people find you if they want more, more of you, which I'm guessing they do after this? Um, and... Also, where can they find your books? I did try and promote it on my stories, um, and I'll, I'll do that again after this. Um, but and, and what project? Do you have any projects that you're working on um, in the future? 
thank you very much for that. Yeah, uh, you can find me. My name's Joshua Fletcher. You can just um, type in Joshua Fletcher Anxiety or whatever. You can find me at thepanicroom.co.uk, joshuafletcher.co.uk. Uh, I have a radio show on Wellbeing Radio once a week, which does quite well. Um, you can find my books by, by typing my name. And I really appreciate you sharing that as well. Um, and hopefully it can help some of your followers. Um, what was the second bit you said? Sorry, Dean. Um, projects. Are you working on any, on any projects at the moment? So I'm just finishing a, a course at university at the moment. And then I'm going to be writing a book on social anxiety, which I'm really looking forward to because it's a different kind of dynamic to panic and something that I've really kind of understood since becoming a, a, a psychotherapist. So that's what is I'll that be some, doing. Is that something that you personally went through yourself or is that just uh, something that you've, you've seen and dealt with and, and helped in the practice? Uh, I've been through it a little bit so I can relate a little bit, mm-hmm. but it's much stuff that I've been picked in the practice. And basically what I'm going to do is I'm going to talk to hundreds of people with social anxiety collate the data and then find out all the things that they can relate to and then i'm going to provide a, a, a guide for people to kind of to kind of overcome it uh because i think there's something there there's social anxiety books out there but, but none really kind of go wow this is me you know that kind of thing so that's what i'll be doing next um i've also got um a podcast called the panic pod that i'll be working on which has taken off recently our most recent guest is someone you had on series one of your uh, Q&A, which was uh, Dr. Rada. That was too long. Oh. Uh, what a great guest to have on. Um, and so, yeah, the panic pod is if you want to, if you've got 20 minutes at home one time, you want to listen to it while you're doing the washing up, you know, uh, look, look for the panic pod. Oh, that's brilliant. Um, so I'd like to obviously end this, uh, obviously by thanking you again, Josh, for, for your time. Um, Regarding that final book, do you have a deadline on that, or is it? Are we not that far yet? It'll probably be around September, October time. Uh, I've got to, I've got to do my uni work first before my teacher tells me off. Uh, hmm. But um, yeah, it should be around then, and uh, I'll, I'll be letting you know anyway. I'll tell you. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> and <the> again, <laughs> again, if anyone wants to um, grab your book, like I said, I'll be pop- popping it back on the platform again, both books. But if they if they want to do a search, they can just search it and it's on it's on Amazon, isn't it? Yeah, on Amazon. Uh, my second book's pretty much in lots of bookstores world, worldwide, particularly it's in the US as well, I think. Uh, but yeah, you can just get on Amazon and stuff like that. Thanks very much for plugging my book as well. And uh, thank oh, you. No for- problem. Great. It's been the first Instagram kind of live I've done in it, so. Well, you could tell the first time, but uh, I'm glad it happened. The, uh, thank, glad we had. No, it's been brilliant. I've really enjoyed it, Josh. And like I said, thank you very much for coming on. And um, yeah, just stay safe. Um, I'm sure we'll be speaking um, a lot um, in the upcoming future as well. So um, just really, really glad that we've connected through um, the social media. And it just shows um, the good side of Instagram as well. Um, the work that all everyone in the mental health community is doing. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think it's been wonderful. And um, I'm glad I could connect with someone like you as well. Not only on a nice professional level where we can discuss stuff, but obviously someone who's been, you know, similar age to me, who's male, talking about mental health. And that's why I advocate everywhere you go. I'm not ashamed of it. You're not ashamed of it. Let's just normalize it for everyone. 
not stop the silly kind of taboo around it. That's brilliant. Thank you very much, Josh. Okay. All right. Take care. Thank Thank you. you. Bye-bye. You've been listening to DLC Live. Be sure to follow Dean on Instagram at DLC Anxiety. Check our website at dlcanxiety.com and grab yourself a copy of our latest book, Untangle Your Anxiety, on Amazon today. See you next time.